listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. We are uh, starting a new era now with our Sermon on the Mount series. We, back in September... We started looking at Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, which is located in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And today we turn the page into the third and final chapter, and that's chapter 7. We only have maybe, I think, four more sermons after this, and then we will conclude our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you'll be going through Sermon on the Mount withdrawals, or maybe you're like really excited that this is coming to an end. Nevertheless, we are coming down the home stretch here. And the passage we're going to look at today has to do with judging. And so let's look at this passage, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Let's just read it. We'll, we'll zoom in uh, closer as we go through the sermon, but let's just read it in its entirety. Chapter 7 of Matthew, verse 1. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them underfoot and turn and maul you. Let's pause and pray and just direct our hearts to the Lord. God, as we open up your word and we allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us, I pray that we would do so humbly in an attitude of worship, In an attitude of poverty of spirit, I pray that uh, each one of us would be willing to allow your Holy Spirit access into places in our mind and hearts that we fiercely guard. May we humble ourselves and receive whatever it is you want to speak to us. I pray over myself as I deliver this sermon, Lord, empower me and help me to be your mouthpiece as Flawed as I am, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would speak through the anointing you've placed in my life and let us receive deeply whatever you want us to receive. Let it be so, and your agenda be accomplished in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Judge not, lest ye be judged. For people who are outside of the Christian faith, outside of Christianity, it seems like maybe this is like their favorite thing Jesus ever said. You notice that? People quote it all the time. Judge not lest you be judged. Jesus said don't judge. Um, How many of you have heard like a non-Christian quote this verse throughout your life? Oh, we all have. We all have. I want to ask you a couple questions as we get started. And I don't want you to respond out loud. Just, Just think about the question. The first question is why do they do that? When a non-believer is quick to quote this verse, judge not lest you be judged. And maybe it's like their favorite verse. Why do they quote that? What inspires them to say this verse? The second question, and remember, don't respond out loud, is, is this an appropriate use 
of what Jesus said. When a non-Christian quotes, judge not lest ye be judged, are they using this verse correctly? Now, I'm going to give you my response. And the reason I asked you not to respond out loud is because my response might be different than yours. And we'd be off to a really rocky start here at the very beginning. The first question was, why do they do that? Why do they quote this verse, judge not lest ye be judged? What inspires them to do so? And the answer is because they feel like they're being judged. <laughs> That's why they do it. They feel like they're being judged, and they've caught on somewhere, somehow, they've heard that Jesus, somewhere in the Bible, said something like, don't judge, and they feel like they're being judged, and they don't like it, so they say, hey, wait a minute. Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. That's why they do it. The second question is, is this an appropriate use of what Jesus said? Are they understanding Jesus correctly? And my response is, yeah, I pretty much think so. <laughs> I, th I think generally speaking, when people are quoting this, judge not lest you be judged, I think they totally are getting what Jesus was going after. Listen, this is something that I think modern evangelicals as a whole, we, we, it would do us some good to reflect on the truth that sinners were attracted to Jesus. Religious people hated him. And, you know, the, the, the self-righteous religious leaders hated him. But sinners were comfortable with Jesus. And they enjoyed hanging out with him. And I think one of the reasons why is because they didn't feel like they were being judged by him. Sinners were attracted to Jesus, and yet Jesus knew they were sinners they knew they were sinners. They knew Jesus knew they were sinners. All the cards were on the table. Nevertheless, they seek him out. They can't get enough. They crave to be in Jesus' presence. I think a huge reason why is because they didn't feel like they were being judged. And I want you to listen to me, followers of Jesus. If you and I are on this trail of following Jesus, if we're walking the Jesus way, and that's the lingo we like to use here, as we are becoming more like Jesus, I think one of the signs perhaps that we're making progress is that those people in our lives, whether friends, family, coworkers, whatever, neighbors, those people who don't even identify as Christians, they're, they're, you're not gonna find them in church. Their lives are very different and look very different from the kind of lifestyles we aspire to live. But when it comes to those kinds of people, I think one of the signs we, we might be on the right track is those kinds of people enjoy being around us. And they don't, they don't feel like they've gotta put up a front. They feel like I can be myself. I can be open and let my guard down without being attacked by this person. And I actually enjoy being around them. I think that's a good sign. That's a good sign. And, and what we gotta be careful about is, as we get serious about our commitment to our faith, the most sinister temptation of all is rather, rather than getting life and worth and value and identity and significance solely from the love of God, through the formational practices of prayer and worship and scripture, rather than getting all of that just from God's love for us, instead we start drawing a sense of worth and value and significance and identity from our own religious performance and righteous deeds. Because as we start doing that, now we need something else to compare it to. And that's what gives birth to judgmentalism. 
And Jesus says, judge not lest ye be judged. This is especially true when it comes to those outside of the Christian faith. The New Testament makes that crystal clear. We got no business judging those outside of the faith. Now, inside of the Christian community, I think the New Testament also teaches that there actually is a time and a place within the bond of covenantal relationship to give an appropriate form of judgment. In fact, Jesus is, he's not done talking about this. Towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we're gonna get there. He does talk about the need for a certain kind of judgment, or you might even just use the word discernment. And there is a time where we need to use judgment and discernment within the body of Christ. But when it comes to those outside of Christianity, the New Testament could not be clearer. The Apostle Paul says it very bluntly in 1 Corinthians 5.22, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? It's a rhetorical question. The implication is, it's none of my business at all. Now, unfortunately, I think what we've done in general in evangelicalism in America is we've taken that verse, we've turned it inside out, and we make it to mean that it's totally our business to judge those outside the church. And we have a legacy of doing that, and I think it's had disastrous results. But listen, in those rare occasions, within the bond of covenantal relationship, within the Christian community, when actually there is that time and place where God may call us to offer some discernment and some judgment towards a brother or sister that we have been invited into their lives, when, when we do, in other words, use a degree of judgment within the Christian faith, we need to remember the very next thing Jesus says. He says, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. So Jesus says, don't judge lest ye be judged. But then in those inevitable moments when you do have to give a form of judgment, Jesus says, just remember, the judgment you give, the standard you use is gonna be the standard that's used towards you. The measure you give is gonna be the measure you get. So my advice to you is this, when you find yourself in moments where you feel like God's called you to give a form of judgment to someone, use copious amounts of mercy. Because how you judge is gonna be, be the way you're judged. James just says, with the judgment, he says, um, he says, a judgment will be without mercy to, on him who has shown no mercy. See, here's the way we tend to work, and this is just our human nature, is we tend to want to judge ourselves based on our intentions. We say, man, I blew it. I did something dumb, but I meant well. My heart was in the right place. We judge ourselves based on our intentions. We want to judge other people based on their actions. I don't know what they meant. I don't know what they were thinking. I just know what they did. I heard the recording. I heard what they said. So you see the difference? My heart was in the right place. I don't know what was in their heart. I just know what they did. It's contradictory, isn't it? It's a double standard. And what Jesus is telling us in this passage is, you're not going to be judged based on how you judge yourself, but on how you judge others. So if you're one of those people who's like, no mercy, black and white, not going to give you the benefit of a doubt, I just know what you did, just understand that that tends to be the standard of judgment that's going to come back to you in your own life. You reap what you sow. So if you're going to err, err on the side of mercy. Now, can a person become too merciful? Yeah, I think so. But all I know is this. 
If someday Jesus says of me, man, that Ryan Post, he was way too merciful on people. Somehow I think I can live with that. But if Jesus or someone else were to say, man, that Ryan Post, way too harsh, way too critical, way too judgmental towards people, that's not good. That's not what you want. So err on the side of mercy if you're going to err. Now, when we read this passage, I think when we're talking about the concept of judgment, how you judge is the way you're going to be judged. I think, unfortunately, sometimes we automatically take this teaching and we thrust it into the future to apply to the final judgment. You know, as Christians, we confess that Jesus is going to return. It can happen at any moment. And whenever Jesus returns, he's going to judge the living and the dead. This is what Christians have confessed for 2,000 years. How many of you confess Jesus is going to return? He's going to judge the living and the dead. But I think sometimes when we hear this passage, this teaching, we immediately limit it only within the scope of final judgment. And I think it absolutely has relevance to final judgment, but I think what Jesus is also doing at least as much is he wants us to understand that this is a principle that is active even in this life. Even, even in the span of this life, you're gonna reap what you sow. And the way you judge others, the way God has hardwired the universe, how you judge others, somehow or another, it's gonna come back upon your own life. Just an example, have you ever known someone, uh, don't point towards them or anything like that, um, because that would be ironic in a sermon about judging, but have you ever known someone who, who you would say is really harsh with people, really vindictive, really judgmental and condemning? Have you ever noticed those kinds of people, right? Have, it's been my observation and maybe you've noticed this too. Have you ever noticed that those kinds of people who tend to be extra harsh and judgmental, have you ever noticed they tend to be more miserable than anybody else? They make themselves miserable. Unmerciful, harsh people tend to be more irritated, more upset, and more judgmental than merciful people. See, that's part of the judgment that's coming back upon them. It's actually coming back right here and right now. So what does this say to you and I about discipleship, becoming apprentices of Jesus, and the whole journey of following Jesus, I think one of the things it shows us is this. We're not going to produce disciples of Jesus through shame. And we're not going to produce disciples of Jesus through merciless criticism. When I read the Gospels, the only people that Jesus shamed and criticized were those who used shame and criticism to control others. But Jesus was not one of these people who was constantly walking around, pointing everything wrong about every person he saw, you know, judging and condemning and, and shaming or anything like that. He never, did, he never gave shame and, and, judge, and judgment unless it was the Pharisees. Why? Because the Pharisees were the very people who were using shame and criticism to control others. And control, by the way, is always the issue. We think, man, we got to control people. we got to control their behavior because if we don't, what's going to come of the church? People are just going to run amok. Last I, check, last I checked, when we baptize people, we baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I didn't see your name in there anywhere. We don't baptize people in your name. So I think maybe, perhaps, we need to learn how to trust the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit to work on folks and take some pressure off of you. 
Let's zoom in on verse 3. I want us to look at this central metaphor of this passage. Jesus says, why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, uh, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the law out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. So he comes up with this comical scene of someone saying, hey man, you got something in your eye. I can see it in your eye. And he's got a two by four sticking out of his eye. Now here's the thing. There very, there very well may be a speck in that person's eye. It's not that your assessment is wrong, but you don't see the irony of having a log protruding from your eye. Now what is this log that Jesus is identifying? Because it's not just sin in general. It's a particular kind of sin that the practitioners of that sin usually are totally unaware of. It's the sin of self-righteous superiority, smug arrogance, and, and, and maybe even worse, just an overall condemning judgmental attitude towards others. In other words, the sins of the Pharisees. Jesus is saying, you've got a log that you can't even see protruding out of your eye, and you're trying to take out the specks in these tax collectors and prostitutes' eyes. Now, tax collectors and prostitutes, they did have a speck in their eye, didn't they? I mean, tax collectors, completely godless, completely secular people, they have no practice of worship, and they're extorting their own people, getting rich off of their own flesh and blood. So these are scum of the earth by any objective estimation. And then you have prostitutes. I don't even have to tell you what a prostitute is. We all know. And yet the Pharisees are so concerned about getting the specks out of their eyes. And Jesus says, you got a log of righteous, self-righteous, religious pride and arrogance protruding out of your eye. And so elsewhere, he's going to just tell them point blank. He tells the Pharisees, the tax collectors, this is a quote out of the Bible, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. How in the world does that happen? That these completely secular, godless, immoral people can be participants in what God is doing ahead of these religious leaders. How does that work? And that's where I want to give you what may be the most important statement of the sermon right here. Being bad is not necessarily a major hindrance to entering into the kingdom of God. But being proud is. Being, being bad is not necessarily a major hindrance because bad people, all they need to do is humble themselves to receive the mercy of Christ. That's what we see with Zacchaeus. He's the baddest dude in the city. And yet Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because Zacchaeus humbled himself. But that's the very reason why pride is such a problem. And it's a totally different story because pride is the very sin that keeps you from being willing to do that. And so you block yourself from that mercy. I want to show you one example of this. This is kind of a theme throughout Jesus' ministry. But in Luke chapter 18, verse 9, he gives a little parable. He says, uh, he also told this parable to some who trusted themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. They were judgmental. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, a Pharisee, when we hear that word, sometimes we immediately associate that with, that's the bad guy, that's the villain. But in reality, in Jesus' day, the Pharisee was someone who everybody looked up to. 
They had a very morally exemplary life. They attended synagogue every time the doors were open. Pharisees were people that you and I, a lot of us, would get along with in a lot of ways, and we would share a lot in common with them. Nothing bad inherently about being a Pharisee. You were a very morally upstanding person. So you have this Pharisee, and you have a tax collector who's on the very bottom rung of the moral spectrum of Jewish faith and culture. Now watch what happens, verse 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this poor tax collector in the back. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. What is he doing? He's judging. He's comparing himself to other men with the motivation of making himself and his estimation look better. Jesus says, but the tax collector standing far off would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Some of you recognize that sentence right there. It's the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Every day, I try to pray that with with deep thought because I want that line, that prayer to shape and form me and cultivate humility in my life because there's something that... uh, It doesn't matter how bad of a sinner you are. God cannot refuse a heart that cries out to him from just humble desperation. God can't resist that. That's one thing that God cannot do is resist a humble heart crying out for mercy. Now, look at the last verse of this passage that we're looking at today, verse 6. Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. Because here, Jesus kind of gives a capstone on the whole teaching of, of, on judgment. It kind of, when you look at it, it's like, what in the world is this about? But there's actually a lot of relevance here. I want to give it to you. It's, Jesus says, do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them underfoot and turn and maul you. Now, what does this have to do with judgment? Well, I think it works like this. I think what Jesus is getting at is this. Let's say that you really do have some pearls of wisdom that you can give to people. You're, you, you look at people out there in our community, maybe you see somebody walking down the neighborhood and, and you see something about them or you know something about them that's off the mark and maybe they're making some really self-destructive choices. And let's just say that you actually do have a heart to help them and you don't have a pharisaical heart. You don't have a spirit that's judgmental towards them. That's not you at all. And you feel like, I do have some advice that I could give them, some pearls of wisdom that would be very helpful for this person. What Jesus is saying is, that's great, that's wonderful, I love the heart. But listen, if that person is not in a place where they can recognize the value of what you're doing and, and they have no interest right now in hearing and receiving your pearls of wisdom, Jesus is saying, just don't bother Just leave it alone. Because right now they don't have the capacity to appreciate the value of these pearls you're giving them. It's like you're in a pig pen and you've got pigs and they're coming to you because they're hungry. And instead of pig feed, you're giving them something actually very valuable. If those pigs were smart, they would take those pearls and sell them on eBay or something. And they could buy barns full of feed if they wanted to. I mean, this is really valuable stuff, pigs, that I'm throwing. I mean, these are pearls, for crying out loud. And the pigs start taking a bite of the, per- the, the, the pearls, and, and they spit them out. And, and not only do they not appreciate the value of what you're giving them, they turn and attack you. So watch this. 
If you're trying to give your pearls of wisdom to somebody, hey, listen, I see something in your life that's messed up. Let me give you some advice that's going to help you. If you're giving them some pearls and that person attacks you, one of two things is happening. Either you're doing it with a harsh, critical, judgmental spirit and it's irritating the heck out of them, or they're just not in a place where they can recognize your heart and the value of the advice you're giving them. In either case, Jesus is saying, leave it alone. Just leave it alone. You don't have any business judging them or changing them. Time and the Holy Spirit's gonna have to work on this person. In the meantime, just move on. Just love them and encourage them and move on. Don't judge them. And you especially don't have any business judging them if they're not even a self-proclaimed Christian, if they're not even within the Christian community Just leave it alone. So what do we do if we're not judging people outside the Christian community? How about we just simply pray for them and ask God to forgive them? Now, if you're hating this sermon right now, I think you need to give it some thought. Like, really, I don't know if anybody here is hating it, but maybe you're, like, listening to this on podcast or something, and I'm just driving you nuts this morning, and you're like, I can't wait. I'm going to get home, and I'll fire off this email and tell Ryan what a terrible, irresponsible, reckless sermon this is. Just think it through. You know, occasionally I get asked by someone, you know, what, what most needs to change about the Christian church in America? What most needs to change? And I I definitely am not a guru on that. I am interested in that subject, but mostly I'm focused on our church. But I do have some opinions. And when somebody asks me, Ryan, what do you think most needs to change about Christianity, evangelical Christianity in America? What I say is it's our terrible practice of critically judging the secular society around us. It's part of our protest DNA, this us versus them mentality. And folks, it's got to go. It's doing irreparable harm. Well, Ryan, what are we going to do about all the specks in these people's eyes? When are we going to help them get the specks out of their eyes? I'll tell you when. Here's when we do it. It's when they come to us and say, man, I think I got a speck in my eye. Can you see if there's a speck in my eye? Can you get it out for me? That's what we do. And we actually trust that the Holy Spirit can work on people. The Holy Spirit is the best partner in ministry you have. Because the Holy Spirit can do what nobody else can do. But you've got to give the Holy Spirit time and space to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. Because when the Holy Spirit's done with a person, they're going to be rushing to you saying, oh, I'm so irritated. I got this speck in my eye. Can you please help me? Until then, we love them. We bless them. We serve as a life-giving, encouraging presence in their life. We tell them the story. We tell them about Jesus, but we don't judge them. We let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. And then finally, when that person's ready, when they have that capacity, when they recognize what you can do, and they say, I got a speck in my eye, please help me get it out, that's when we take them by the hand and we lead them to Jesus. But until then, it's probably, ne- it's probably best not to judge or say anything. I'll close with this. You know, we've been looking at Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6 this morning. But I want to back up just one verse 
to the very end of chapter 6. And I just want to link these two passages together because I I want you to see the flow of thought here. So at the very end of chapter 6, verse 34, remember Jesus says, So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Very next verse, judge not lest ye be judged. So you see, last week, in our message last week, we talked about anxiety, being free from anxiety about material possessions. But in the very next subject, he talks about judgment. I don't think he's left the subject of anxiety, though. Because oftentimes, what's behind our judgmental attitude is really this internal anxiety about ourselves. We're anxious about our own position before the Lord. So we anxiously try to justify ourselves by judging someone else. We say, you know what, I might be okay. I might be okay because at least I'm not extorting people like this person. At least I'm not an adulterer like this person. I'm not like these tax collectors, so I'm okay. But you see how the whole thing is anchored in anxiety. Nod your heads if you're with me. Anxiously judging others so you can justify yourself. What we can do instead is we can just simply let Jesus save us. How about instead of trying to save yourself by judging others in order to justify yourself, at least I'm not like this person over here. How about we just simply let Jesus save you? Because you know what? Jesus so wants to save you. He so wants to redeem your life. Jesus wants to save and redeem you and free you more than you want to be saved, redeemed, and freed. And that just kind of takes a lot of pressure off of you. And as we daily just simply sit with Jesus in prayer and silence and let him fill us up with his love to where we're getting our worth and identity and value from the love that is flowing from Calvary and we begin to experience that on a regular basis, that's what frees us from anxiety and it frees us from the compulsion to judge and condemn others. Understandest thou these things? Worship team, come forward. Stay seated for just a moment. I want you to just sit for a moment with your eyes closed. And I'm going to read a passage that I want us to reflect on. And then we're going to pray and share communion together. But I want this passage uh, to minister to you. And I'm trusting that as I read this passage, it's in Romans 8, that the Holy Spirit's going to illuminate maybe a certain word or a certain phrase or a certain verse and it's going to stick out to you and the Holy Spirit's going to say to you take that with you right now just sit with this this thought because I want to I don't want you to just know cognitively that God loves you I want you to experience the love of God this morning I want you to feel God's tangible presence, his embrace of you right where you are. I don't care how bad you are. I don't care how bad your life is, how much of a mess you've made of your life and your family. None of that causes God to love you any more or any less than he already does. So Holy Spirit, illuminate your word to us as we meditate in your presence today. Romans chapter eight, beginning in verse 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, 
but gave him up for us all, won't he also give up, give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God had chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's just straining at words trying to communicate the incomparable power of God's love that right now Holy Spirit, help us to experience. He says to you, I love you. I'm passionate about you. I'm never going to give up. I'm never going to quit. I'm never going to relent. Like a loving parent who is the father or the mother of a wayward child, my door is always open. My arms are always extended. And I'm I'm studying, I'm looking through the window, looking for any sign that my child is coming home. It's, it's, it's what motivates and drives me. I want you here with me, and I want to embrace you. I'm going to run out to meet you. This is what, this is what motivates God. This is what God lives for. Now let him just fill you with his love right here in this moment. I just want us to sit in quiet and let, just give space for the Holy Spirit to meet you right where you are. Let me just give you a solid minute of just sitting with Jesus. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.